1: Welcome to Continuous Play podcast series on cartoons and people featuring Anna McCoy I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way and Jay Newcastle Holy smoke, In this episode we'll revisit Mary Poppins We'll review the plots, talk about the themes, and give our recommendation for further viewing Continuous Play is not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing related company any discussion of the plots, characters, or music from the film is done so for entertainment purposes only. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners, and all rights are reserved.
0: Welcome into Continuous Play Podcast, two-parter series on cartoons and people interacting together. We start with the 1964 Disney classic, Mary Poppins, starring Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke, David Tomlinson, Glennis Johns, Karen Dottres, Jane Banks, and Matthew Garber. Music by the Sherman Brothers, directed by Robert Stevenson, made for $6 million. Back in 64, that was some bucks. It made 45 in its run and, of course, has become a classic and it's time on this earth. I'm Jay.
2: I'm Anna.
0: And we're glad you've joined us again. Anna, you know, we, we're going, this is probably the oldest film we'll ever review uh, on a continuous play. I mean, we may, I don't know if we'll ever go back before 64. This one's been around a, a lot longer than even I remembered
2: it. Yeah, it's been around a long time. Actually, I was reading online that it has, it's one Disney film. You know, you've heard of the Disney Vault Yes. where everything goes in the vault and comes back, which is real. there's really no vault. It's just a marketing ploy. But this is, has continuously been in VHS or DVD since, like, the 80s or something, which is staying alive for Disney.
0: It really is, you know, because they will pull stuff in and out on you. Disney, the, the mouse will pull back his wares and not let okay. you have them for a while and, and then yes. release the double special edition, you know? So, yes. uh
2: And also, I am excited about this because I can... Do my Disney
0: geekdom. Anna does have small children, so. uh, but in addition to that, her and her husband are Disney fanatics, and so this this is right up your alley all the way. I'll start with a super spoiler plot here, so uh, here we go. This is basically the story of a family in the early 1900s in Great Britain. And the family is known as the Banks family, uh, which is interesting because he works at a bank. Uh, You have Mr. Banks. uh, You have Mrs. Banks, who's fighting for women's suffrage. And I don't know a lot about votes for women in Great Britain. I know a little bit more about it in America. So that's an interesting little side. There are two, quote, impossible children, Jane and Michael, and the cast of characters around them. And these people uh, uh, live in a very nice house in Great Britain and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the mother's off with her cause a lot. And the father works a lot. And the kids, um, they they get a kick out of the, pretty much just running off every nanny that their parents can hire. And, and they can't keep anybody. And, and we meet one of them early on, and they run her off. So Banks decides to advertise for another nanny, but the kids intervene and they write their own ad and they want someone who's a little more kind and has a little more imagination because all they've seen is, you know, real sternness uh, on on their part. And, and we get the we, when we meet Banks, he's not real friendly character. So anyway, of course, he finds the ad, intervenes and throws it up the chimney. And it just so happens that the ad floats into the sky and a waiting in the sky on a cloud In her screen debut, Julie Andrews, who plays Mary Poppins, and she floats down uh, uh, with her umbrella – answers the and of course is hired and one of the other people we meet along the way is an old friend of hers named Bert who is a chimney sweep sidewalk artist one-man band he's a little bit of everything we'll get to Bert in a while Uh, but the the children meet her and she comes in and she is not only cheering and imaginative she's also magical she's pulling out hat racks out of her little bag and she's singing songs and making the furniture clean itself up and it's it's uh, it's it's madness but she introduces a lot of fun into the children's lives, and that begins to bleed over as when she's gone in the evening, they try to get their father and mother to open up a little more, to no avail. Uh, Mary, of course, takes them around with Bert to meet a lot of different people. They actually go into one of his dr- sidewalk drawings once and have some of the the great singings. I think the you know the most uh, uh, one of the most uh, memorable songs from the film, supercalifragilistic expialidocious, I probably just said that wrong, is in that uh, little drawing scene. It's hilarious, you know. But anyway, along the way, they they meet Bert's Uncle Albert, who laughs so hard he actually floats to the ceiling and this idea that laughter can lift you up and there's all that going on. Well, Mr. Banks is really disturbed at the fact that his children are being kind of silly. He wants them to be more serious and all that kind of stuff. And at one point, he gets fired from the bank, and he's really distraught. But what he realizes is that there are more important things in life than work, and so he goes goes back to his employers and tells them a joke that his son had told him a few days before that of course he got from Mary in some way, and he didn 't get it at the time, but now he thinks it 's funny. He tells it to his employers and he actually kills one of them with laughter it's so it, you know they all float to the ceiling and, and die laughing. He comes home and has a complete epiphany. He takes the children out to fly a kite, which was sort of what they wanted to do to begin with and how they got in trouble with the first nanny. They just wanted to play and fly a kite. It looks like the whole town's going to fly a kite. Of course, the wind changes and Mary has to blow away. And as the, the family embarks to fly the kite, they bump into the son of his former employer, Banks, his former employer. And he says, you know, my father thought that was so funny. He actually died laughing. I'm happy that he died happy. You're hired back. And now he's going to be promoted to partner. And all ends well. And there's a beautiful song and a really short credit sequence. And that's pretty much as quickly as I can sum up the two hours and 20 minutes That is Mary Poppins. So let's talk about this, Anna. That's one thing I think that struck me. Watching this, my immediate reaction was this. Oh, I miss the days when all the credits were at the beginning of the movie. Oh,
2: I thought of that, too. And all the old Disney movies. Yeah. Or like that like if, if even the animation ones, if you watch Cinderella, which I think was in nineteen fifty or something around there, yeah. they do all the credits, they do and the and you don't know who did what voices, it just says voice talent, you know, blah 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 blah. So you get all that you get all that at the beginning, and the movie ends, and you don't have to go through the credits. Most Disney movies in this time frame are like
0: that. Yeah, and even most movies do. Yeah, I, I can remember, you know, you watch any of the, you know, James Bond, of course, is notorious for the the long opening credit sequences. But those began in the '60s, and and you you watch any movies from those time that time period, everything was up front. Nowadays, it's all it's all in the back. Of course, it, we, we have to admit right away, there's about 400 people that are not getting credited with stuff that they do now. You know, like the second gaffer to the left has a credit now and you know it, everybody gets something now which is fine you
2: know whatever It'd be like, assistant to mr disney assistant to miss um miss andrews, andrews assistant yeah. to mr D- i've even seen some movies where they say like personal trainer oh yeah or something i think it might have been the new iron man one i saw where i said that but i see that now it's like personal trainer too
0: I know, yeah, they've, they've got a credit for everybody now. But uh,
2: yeah. you know, back
0: in those days, though, it was all up front. And uh, the second thing I noticed, and, and it kind of came to me at the end, was, you know, for a kid's movie, and let's say what it is, this is a Disney musical, this is a kid's movie, okay? There's something in here for everybody, sure, but it's a kid's movie. This thing is long. It's two hours and 20 minutes. And it's it's not an easy two hours and 20 minutes. I mean, it's, it's a lot. So uh, you
2: know, I think about the part where – towards the middle, and I think it's about the middle, where they go to the bank, the children go on an outing with their father to the bank. Yeah. That's where I started to lose interest, and also my four-year-old started to lose interest. <laughs> and she just thought in her head that it would be more fun if she pretended she was Mary Poppins and had her own little things than to continue to watch this movie. So, And that's what she did.
0: Well, and to spoil it, you know that is kind of the point of, of the film was you don't want to stifle a, a child's imagination because no, the, the thing we notice about the Banks family immediately is you know they call the children troubled but all they really want to do is go fly a kite.
2: And they were making out like at the, the um, nanny at the very beginning before Mary Poppins comes, they called her Katie, not Nana or Katie Nana. Yeah. And they called her and she is she, very stern. It's just like, they, like these little heathens, heathens, these little beasts have ran away from me for the, And I'm like, compared to my kids, I'm like, these kids aren't that bad. I'm like, I don't know what (laughs) she's complaining about. I was like, I don't know what she's complaining about. Yeah, they want to go fly. They ran away to go fly kite, but this is 1910. I don't even think there are cars, so you don't have to worry about them getting ran over in the road or anything. I'm just like, what is she complaining about? All all she had to do was go watch them, sit in a park and watch them fly a kite. How how bad could that be?
0: Apparently it was so bad she couldn't take it anymore and she bails on the job. I mean, I've had some jobs that I thought were kind of rough and the people I had to deal with were, were a little difficult, but if anybody wanted me to go fly a kite, I I think I'd stay with that job. I think I could hang with that. That'd be okay. That was funny to me, but it's humorous. It's all played for humor. You know, there's, oh, yeah. there, there could not be any less ill will in this film. Uh, it, oh, it is, it is completely optimistic and cheery and cute. I always say we can't really scene by scene. So let's just talk about some of the characters. I, I want to talk about Dick Van Dyke for a minute, okay? Now okay. I I love Dick Van Dyke, okay? I grew up watching reruns of the old Dick Van Dyke show, and of course I remember him when you know his many iterations on television and all the different shows he's had and stuff. He's 84 now. I, the man still with us is amazing. He was almost 40 when he made this thing, and I, I have to say, as funny as he is, it, that has to be the worst British accent I have ever heard someone try to pull off it slips in and out so much that i thought they at least spent five hundred thousand dollars just reshooting his stuff and dubbing it because it it you can hear him just slide in and out of that cockney accent the whole movie And it, maybe it was a running joke i don't know but it's it's funny for me to hear him try to talk that way when I know his voice is very distinctive, you know, his voice and, and I'm going diagnosis. Murder has a terrible you know, British accent.
2: <laughs> i got to quit laughing. for <laughs> <but>, uh, <laughs> You know, you, when you told me this before I watched it, you kind of ruined it for me. Cause I never really noticed it before. And then I'm like, I'm sorry. And then I start second guessing. I'm like, well, is the mother, really, is she really British? Is the father, is Mr. Banks really British? And I'm like going to their filmography, trying to see where they're born and stuff. And I'm like, I know Julie Andrews is British, and I'm going through trying to compare her accent to Dick Van Dyke. So, yeah, thanks for that, Jay.
0: Just, I, that just struck me. And then, you know, since reading about it, it's a kind of a running joke as to how bad it is. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, really, it, it slides in and out all over the place. And what do you think of Bert? I mean, it, he's kind of the narrator, guardian angel. He plays like multiple characters in this thing. What do you get from him? Sort of what was his purpose? He was Mary's friend, but I I couldn't tell if they were like, I don't know. I don't know what their relationship was, but he seemed to be there to sort of counterbalance whatever she was doing. I don't know.
2: Well, that's a good um, segue there because um, number one, they, in the script, they, I, I can't remember if it was, I think Disney, Walt Disney, who he was, personally involved in this he wasn't just a producer you know signing the checks or something he was personally involved in the story and the music and the casting and everything at this point in time and this was actually made only um three or four years before he died yeah and um he wanted it to be that there was no semblance of romance between Bert and Mary okay they were really just platonic friends so that's kind of kind of why the ambiguity for it and secondly, um, th- this uh, we should say, we haven't mentioned until this point, that this is actually based on a book by P.L. Travers. And for the movie, they changed it. The book actually takes place during the Depression. But for the movie, they changed it to 1910 because it's a more cheery point in history. The Depression, I guess, is depressing. Nobody wants to do anything about it unless it's a war movie. So they wanted it to be a more cheerful Time period, so they said it in night. They moved it back to night. Disney moved it back to 1910, and he met. The books are actually from what I've read online, I've never read them, but the books are really kind of dark and kind of. Mary's Hmm. not as cheerful, and that's one of the things that said in the trivia on IMDb is that the PL Travers went to the premiere. And the only reason she sold the rights to Disney is because people quit buying her books, and she's like, okay, well, maybe if I sell it, and they see a movie, people are going to want to go buy the books. And also, I was listening to an interview with um, Richard Sherman, who wrote where he and his brother wrote all the songs for Mary Poppins. And he said that the books are, there's no plot to the books. They're all their own little separate thing, and and Mary just kind of floats in when the family needs her, floats out when they don't, and floats in and floats out, and they kind of created this conflict when they were writing the songs, because they didn't, it was difficult for them just to write the songs with no plot or anything, so this is a book, and in the book, Bert is really a combination of all these different characters that are friends of Mary.
0: Kind of, you can see that too. And I, knew, I knew nothing about the books at all. So I'm glad you, you mentioned that. I was wondering to myself, I'm like, is he an amalgam of multiple characters? That happens all the time in movies when we adapt from the written word. So it makes sense. It's it comes off, and this has been made into a Broadway play, musical, and and you know, it's been done all in every way in the world it can be done. But the, his character breaks the fourth wall, talks to the audience the entire time, almost. I mean, he's he's narrating this while things are happening. And I kind of liked that. Uh, Dick Van Dyke is sort of your, I, I guess he's just sort of the host of this little moment in this little show. And you make a good point there. There's really not a plot to this. Uh, I mean, there's not like a plot thread. There are things going on, and there's this thing about the father, and he's a little rough with his kids, and he's, he needs to lighten up at work. But that's even obtuse. You know, I'm reading a lot from that anyway because it's not told any of that. Uh, we don't get any of that. There's no moment where he's standing on the balcony going, I need to be nicer to my kids. He just goes for a stroll. You know, so And, and that's part of the time period, and it's part of Disney and, and other things. But there's not a real plot to this. It's just a lot of fun stuff. And we kind of bounce from song to song to song and we've talked about Dig Van Dyke we've got to talk about Julie Andrews now this is her debut performance in film of course we've all seen her in a million things if you need the standard British lady she's sort of the one everybody calls she's wonderful in this and what's amazing to me is you, you look at her then when she was 28, 29 and you look at her now and I mean certainly she looks like she's in her 70s but she doesn't look bad and her voice sounds the same she has a beautiful voice and it really comes through in, in these songs so you know the Shermans did a I mean the music for this thing is incredible. Her voice, just in its pitch and timber, and the way she delivers lines—not even singing, just talking—just has a little sing quality to it. Did you get that? I mean, it's very uplifting and cheery, even when she's talking about cleaning up the clothes and the floor.
2: Yeah, I think that has to do more with the music than her. Now, Granny, she delivers it very well, and like uh, Richard Sherman said in the interview, they write the music for the characters, not. The actors, right? There's a lot of composers write for the actors, and you know they can imagine these voices, but these are for the characters. These are to help the characterization, not necessarily it's written specifically for the actors.
0: And it it is a a characterization. You I think you said it. The music is its own character in this film.
2: Mm-hmm. I like Julie Andrews. She will always be Mary Poppins to me. I have seen, I hate to admit, but I have seen The Princess Diaries and I hate, to, this is even worse. I have seen them before I had children and I don't even think my kids have seen them. They're all about princesses. But um, yeah, that's sad. But I've seen her in The Princess Diaries and she's very good. But she, I, I've said, I love the sound of music mm-hmm. too. And she's, she's just, when you want a strong voice, she's the person you go to. And I, But I do believe, and I don't know this, I, this is just off the top of my head, and I may have my facts wrong. But I thought back in the 90s, she had some kind of throat surgery, so she can't sing like she did like in Mary Poppins or The Sound of Music or anything.
0: She did have to quit a run on Broadway in the late 80s, uh, or the late 90s, actually, I should say, because she had um, some nodules removed from her throat, and there was some complications with the surgery. She actually wound up suing the doctors on that. So um doesn't say anything about her returning to imagine she's got some of it back, but it's may not be as good as it was. I mean, it shouldn't be. She's 74, uh, for goodness sakes, but, uh, she's still got some pipes on her. I mean, the woman can sing. Oh yeah, and, she uh, can. And,
2: and, and she's
0: so just, she's got a whole air about her that just is so, that's what, that's you know. what I was going to
2: say. Her voice is so, so pleasant. I don't know. I mean, like her role in, um, the Prince, uh, Princess Diaries and like in Mary Poppins she's a nanny and you expect a nanny to be you know firm but cheerful you know firm but nice and she pulls that off and I don't know if any other actress can pull that off and actually like I said in the book Mary is not this cheery and is not this sweet and at one point Disney was looking at Betty Davis To play Mary Poppins because in the book, she's this cold, kind of militant person. Well, see, and that's what's, and that
0: to me is again, Sometimes people take books and they maul them when, when they adapt them to screen, mm-hmm. and then occasionally they, they take an idea that's, we're going to take this basic idea of this magical nanny that floats in and out of people's lives and helps them, but then they give the characterization something completely different, and mm-hmm. and I like that. I can appreciate it when it's done well. It's done badly a lot. But it, it's done well here. Uh, Walsh and DeGrady, Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady, that wrote the screenplay for this, did a good job of of adapting that dark character. Because I'd read that too; that she was a little darker than than the way Julie Anders. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she can play a, a a dark character. It's not really her thing. She's very very like but you know the thing is and, I, and it gets lost in the fact that she is so fun and imaginative is the whole time she's pretty much taskmastering these kids around. I mean they don't oh, have yeah. they don't have a free second. You know.
2: And she do, and the funny thing is she does the same thing with the dad.
0: Oh yeah, she bosses him all over the place.
2: Yeah, yep. and she 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 kind of treats him like the children like uses reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, she's kind of treating him like the children like the whole outing at the bank. She's like Oh, yes, you want them to be worried about dollars and cents and profits and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And she's like, well, then you should take them to work with you and maybe they'll see. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. And then at the end, he's just like, what just happened here? Same thing when he hired her. He's just he's he's like, she's like, I'm always cheerful. He's like, where did you get that letter? She's like, oh, never mind. That just keeps going on and on through uh, through the, the list. And he's sitting there just trying to think well, I know I tore it up. Where did it go? Why is it not here? And she's like, I will start right away. And she's like, let's discuss my wage. No, I'm start right away. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I hired you. And she kind of does that with the dad. She kind of treats the dad like a child. She's the tap.
0: Yeah, she's in control of this whole, this whole element. And and even though at times she's unsure, and, and this, they play on this pretty well, especially near the end of the film, she's unsure if she's doing any good at all you know, she has a lot of questions about, am I really doing any good here? You know, nobody seems to be getting it. Nobody's there. They're they're still not flying the kite. I don't know if that was the mission statement of of the film. The children want to fly a kite, but. And the
2: kite represented the family coming together at the beginning. It was broken, which meant the family was broken. And at the end, it was put to, it was put back together, which meant the family was together.
0: G- Gold Star Diana, Anna. That was awesome. I had I did not get that at all. So that was great. So I may have lost that somewhere in the fifteenth musical number. But uh, it, but no no that's a that's a great point. I, had uh-huh. I, I never thought about that. That makes total sense. I, I want to talk about the bottomless carpet bag for a minute. Okay, hey, because because this thing to me is the nowadays the modern version of that would be like when you're playing a video game and you have to pick up stuff along the way. You never seem to run out of room to hold anything that. I think for this character to work, she had to have something to go to that always seemed to have a fix-it or an answer or the widget that would fit in the wall. You know, she she had to have something to go to, and that element to me was so neat because one, it's clearly it's a prop. I mean, every time she pulls something out of it, she's sitting in on top of a box. You know, so it can, mm-hmm. it can work from the floor. But the children are so mesmerized by it, and watching it, I, I caught myself starting to go. Man, that, that's a cool trick. She's just pulling ev- anything out of the bag, you know. And what's the thing about someone who's always on top of things, is always in charge. They can work from the hip. She's quick on her feet. She always mm-hmm. has an answer for something. And I thought that was a neat way to visualize or, or give a plot element or a, a physical element to a plot device of somebody who never got stumped.
2: But on that note, <laughs> I couldn't figure out like, she did all this, mat. like, they hopped in the pictures, and then um the friend of hers, or uncle or cousin, I can't remember, I just know it's played by Edwin, it was a staple in most Disney films, the laughter lifted them up, and stuff like that, and then they hop in the pictures, and, and they clean up the room by snapping their fingers, and I, I can't figure out if she's like using in the carpet bag. Is she using some kind of psychology with them and making the kids doing this, like making it a game and this is how the film is showing us that they're making it a game or is she really have some magic because she goes at the end of the day after they've been in the park and they hopped in the paintings that Bert did and they do the horse race and they sing super califragilistic califragilisticexpialidocious and the kids are like, the kids are like, oh, we did it. We did this. And remember, Mary, you won the horse race. And she was like, me, a respectable person in a horse race. Well, I've never heard such nonsense. And it's, is she magical? Is this psychology? Is this all in the kids' heads? Is she encouraging them to use their imagination? I wish they'd kind of gone into that more. Watching it as an adult, I don't, you know, I don't understand. I wish they made that clearer. You know, either maybe taking out the part like, oh, me in a horse race, I've never for such nonsense, or
0: that to me was nothing but a setup for the most nonsensical word ever created. Because the whole point of that, right, is that when you have nothing to say, just say something like this and it sounds right. smart. And that's the whole that, that's really Bert's whole part of the, the song, too. Is that
2: let's while
0: we're talking about the music, what's your favorite song from Mary Poppins? Because that's oh. mine. I, I, I'll say it right now. I love that. I think it's hilarious. It's funny. It comes off great every time I hear it.
2: I'm trying to think, I sang that one. And it's a jolly holiday with Mary. Yeah, I've that. I've sang that one too, and the chimney sweep ones. Those, are, I, yeah, I've caught myself humming off all, all three of those. So I pro- I probably do agree with you in like super califragilistic the best because I like when the little cartoons and she this guy's like I said it to my girlfriend and now she's my wife and
0: yeah, she hits him with the tambourine. Yeah.
2: yeah she gets- <laughs> It's um, and, so, and I I think that's so cute and whimsical, and it is very catchy. But I have to say, my Disney geek them. The Sherman Brothers are known for these really catchy songs. They've um, they've done a lot of stuff that's in the parks. A lot of the music that's in the parks, mm-hmm. and they also did the Jungle Book. Oh, they okay. did the music for the. Disney's *The Jungle Book*, and um, they have done the song that absolutely—if you hear it, no one in this world, no matter what language you speak, will be able to get it out of your head—and that is *It's a Small World*.
0: Oh, so the, they, the song that will never end. Yes.
2: Yeah, the song <laughs> that never ends. They are the writers of *It's a Small World*, and it's and so the, their music's known for this very catchy, very you can't get it out of your head kind of.
0: Well, it is. It, it is all very catchy, and it's it's done with great dance numbers. And I got to say this too: I'll credit Dick Van Dyke and Julie Anders in particular for a really good job of lip syncing. And and when they edited this, they they did a good job of syncing this up. And it, look, to, nowadays that it's not an easy task. I don't want to make that sound like no. it's easy. It's easier than it was in 1963 and 1964. And mm-hmm. there, I've seen a few outtakes. Where they're doing a scene and he'll he'll mouth her part and she'll do his just to mess around, you know? And yeah. they, they had it down then. Uh, I mean, they, they were really, really good at playing that, that lip sync part um, to something they had recorded probably months before. Uh, and it works really well.
2: Do you know if Dick Van Dyke was ever in Broadway? He's done Mary Poppins and he's done Bye Bye Birdie, which are two very well-known musicals.
0: No, he's, he started out on television. He was just a TV guy. So, uh, just a TV and movie guy, and you'd think he would work well on a stage, because Julie Andrews clearly did a lot of stage work uh, in her life, but no, he's always been a TV guy.
2: And, And Dick Van Dyke has said that he does not believe that he was right for this part. He wasn't convinced that he could, he really wasn't. Nevertheless, maintains to this day that he was somewhat miscast as Bert. He has suggested that either Jim Dale or Ron Moody would have played the part better. Never heard of
0: either one of them. They might be actually British, though, so maybe he's acknowledging that that accent is bad. <laughs> you, know?
2: <laughs>
0: I, you know, the music in this thing, like we said, is, is its own character, and everybody plays it so well. I don't know if there was like a rule of thumb or, or what. I know they cut a lot of songs that were written for this. They only went up using maybe half of what the Sherman Brothers gave them. I don't know that they could have jammed any more songs into this thing because it seemed like we couldn't go more than five minutes on screen without song and dance happening. Did
2: did you get that? Yeah, I got that. And I remember you mentioning to me, you didn't think the dialogue was very strong. Yeah. And, how how can it be when there's hardly? I was thinking of that as I was watching it. How can the dialogue be strong when there's hardly any time to say anything? You got to have time to say stuff to have good dialogue. It's just, like you say it's just five minutes in between shows, th- between numbers than like a ten minute number than five minutes. So
0: the the only person that gets any real exposition is Bert. And not even ba- I mean, I guess Mr. Banks does some uh, mm-hmm. near the end, but you know, there really there isn't a lot of exposition in this because I mean, I keep harping on this, but there's no plot. There's really not one. I mean, right. this is there's a simple lesson to be learned here, I, and I'm going to tell you what I think it is, and you can either agree or disagree. I think the lesson here is that it's great to have a career. It's great to have causes you know, and be involved in that, especially when you're in a position where you can do those kind of things in life. But, and you want your children to act right, but you got to remember kids are kids. And some point they just want to fly a kite with their parents in the park. And that was kind of the whole message. I think of this film. Did, did you get that?
2: I agree. I got two messages from this film. All right. Let kids be kids that mm-hmm. don't have them. And I kind of drew a parallel to today. And I have, I have small and I, since I have small children, parents today are uber competitive. I mean, it is so it's like, well, my kids have the ABC's at two. And my husband and I take the approach and we even get pressure from our parents, like, well, our this friend of ours who has a two year old is doing more than your four year old. And my husband and I take this approach is that they're only gonna be this age for so long. They're going to go to school. We went to school. We learned what we needed to learn and wound up and went to college and stuff. Eventually, they'll get it, but they're only going to be this age so long. So why constantly push them with flashcards and stuff to get, you know, because I mean, it's just so super competitive and you might even see it on your end because you deal with college age kids and you might see it bleed over just as much as I see it on the, Kids in, so I got that message to just let kids be kids, and the I got the other message like yours is that family comes first. You're gonna have your as an from an adult perspective, you're gonna have your job. Let your kids be kids, and sometimes enjoy it with them, and be kids with them. Go fly a kite, or in my husband' nice case, we go to the Disney World all the time. <laughs> so um, nice little synergy there. Yeah. So, Um, you know, just have fun with your kids and go fly a kite with them, go to the park with them, go to a baseball game with them, go and ride Dumbo with them at a Disney World or Disneyland, you know, just do that stuff and let them be kids and let them have fun and not constantly trying to let them grow up before their time. Let them be four-year-olds. Don't, let them be eighteen or twenty
0: year olds. You know that that was a message in in a Steve Martin movie that came out in the eighties that Ron Howard directed called Parenthood. The parenthood.
2: I've watched yeah. that recently.
0: I was just thinking of that because Rick Moranis and his wife they have a like a little girl in that movie who's uber smart, but she's only like three or four, you know, and he's constantly drilling her on all this stuff. Cause he's trying to, you know, make her like this super smart human. And, and ultimately his wife, you know, gets really frustrated with him. Like, I just want her to be a girl and be a silly kid and have some fun, you know? And, and even though she's been along with it uh, uh, for that part of that ride, at some point, they're only going to be this age once, you know, let them have some fun. And I think that was sort of the, the thing that banks came to was that after he got fired, his his only realization was, you know what, I'm just going to lay this lame joke that my son laid on me that I barely got on y'all and just leave you with that. And it got all those old men so tickled, you know, and oh, of course, they magically floated to the ceiling and one of them passed away, sadly enough, but. Um, but, but it was time for him to go. You got the feeling that, you know what, it was okay because it was time for him to go because he was just hanging on for hanging on's sake. And that sometimes you just got to laugh and relax and just be like Uncle Albert.
2: Yeah, you just got, you, I did, you did notice that the guy playing the old guy that died was Dick Van Dyke.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, they, they do the little credit <laughs> thing at the end where it flips around. Yeah, that's uh, some badly disguised makeup.
2: He actually wanted to play that part wanted no extra money.
0: He just wanted to play that part for some years. I, you know, Dick Van Dyke has made a career out of sort of doing those dual role things. He d- He's done that forever, so it's just another instance of him doing that. And, you know, we've got to talk about the animation in this, because the reason we're doing this series is animation and humans acting together. And I think I, I was probably projecting something onto this film that maybe wasn't there, because really all that happens is Julie Andrews and Bert and the kids are in scenes where cartoons are then later put behind them in Mm post-production. There's not a lot of them shaking hands with cartoons and stuff like that. They do a lot of cartoony stuff, but it's not, there's not a lot of interaction. I didn't get a lot of interaction from it. Did you?
2: No. And taking into consideration this made 1964, but also taking into consideration, I mean, whether you're like me and a Disney geek or not, you can't argue that in the animation field, especially in this point in time, that Disney is the master. He, Disney is the state is Disney animation is the standard of animation. And this isn't the first time 1964 wasn't the first time that Disney had, had done live action with animation either. So take that for what you will for 1964 standards I'd say it's pretty
0: good. You know, and I'm gonna say this, I I think the animation holds up. I mean, it looks like an old mm-hmm. Walt Disney cartoon, but you know what? It looks like the one the still if they you know any of the traditional animation that's still done today. It it looks incredible. And and I think because you've already said it, part of that is they're the standard. So you are always comparing them to themselves.
2: They are the standard. I'm I mean, it's just good. And I think in Roger Rabbit you'll see how 20 years the differences in technology, because the people interact more and stuff with the animation than they did. The animation in Mary Poppins is basically like background.
0: Yeah. It's, it's and, just scenery. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then furthermore on this, the whole thing is shot indoors. They do the painting kind of like they did in Gone with the Wind, where they paint the sceneries on the, the Yeah,
0: the matte painting. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: the they do that. Everything was shot indoors. They never went outside for anything in this movie. And I wondered, as I was watching this, especially towards the end at the bank sequence when he's taken them to the bank and stuff, I was wondering, I'm like, why does this look so fake? I know they could do better, but it... And then I read it's because none of it was shot outside. None of it was... None of the, like, street scenes and those. And I think the animation is better than the effects they try to do to make it look like they're
0: outside. Well, I think it, they, I think it's, it's another one of those things, too. It harkens back to some of the older movies where everything is shot on a studio lot and <laughs> on a set. You, know, you get that some today, but your movies that excel, especially, you don't realize it's a set. This was at yeah. a time when you could go into a movie and go, eh, that's a set, and not care, because it's almost like a play come to life on the screen. I mean, that's really what musicals are anyway. You Mm -hmm. know, it's just three-dimensional plays on the screen. That's what I've always got from them, at least. So they're not three-dimensional, they're two-dimensional. But you know know what I mean, so.
2: But I think the animation sequence is better than kind of the sequences where the kids are roaming through the streets and they're on the chimneys and stuff like that. I think, like you said, the animation sequences hold up, and Mm -hmm. they're just as good today as they were in 1964, and they'll hold up for another 20 years.
0: Yeah, it's definitely excellent. Well, Anna, we're at the point where we do our recommendation, you know, on, on your further playing. People know our scale. It's on the website. What's your play recommendation for Mary Poppins?
2: I want to say continuous play because it's it's such a classic movie. It's got a good message. It's cheerful. The music's catchy. But on the flip side, I, I, I would say at least an occasional play. But if you like musicals, some people just absolutely don't like musicals. If you like musicals, continuous play. If you don't like musicals or don't have small children, then I'd say occasional play. Because this is a classic, and it's got, like, didn't you say it had, like, five Academy Awards?
0: Oh, yeah. It's it's by far the most decorated thing. We've reviewed 13 nominations, five Academy Awards, including Best Actress for Julie Andrews.
2: Julie Andrews is wonderful in it. I say it. Probably better than Sound of Music. One of the best films she's ever done. Dick Van Dyke, despite his obnoxious British accent, he still gives a real solid performance. It's wonderful. So uh, if you don't like musicals, occasional play. It's a classic. It's worth seeing. If you do like musicals, then continuous play.
0: I'm going to give a two part recommendation on this, too. I think if you like musicals and you have kids, this is a good continuous place. is a fun movie. It's very safe. There's, n- They go out of their way to not be offensive in this. So you got nothing <laughs> to worry about on that end for adults or people that don't have kids or even if you don't like musicals. This is an occasional play. You got to see this one, folks. It's a fun movie. It's and now it's long, no doubt, okay? And in it parts it's going to drag a little bit, but you know what? It's a good thing to throw in on a good rainy afternoon. You got nothing else to do. It's a fun laugh. Give yourself a break from, you know, all the cynical kind of movies that are out there today and and even what's on television, you know. And I like all that stuff too, but Take a break from it every now and then. Visit one of these kind of films. You will be rewarded for it. So, yeah, it's, it's a it's a continuous play for me because it's a classic if you've got kids. But even if not, it's still an occasional play. It's a good movie. Enjoy it, folks. Well, listen, folks, we hope you have enjoyed our review of Mary Poppins. This is the first of uh, two in a series that we're doing called Cartoons and People, uh, working together in the second part of that. We've spoiled it a little bit earlier here. The 1988 film Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Tune in next time here on Continuous Play.
1: Thank you for listening to our Cartoons and People retrospective episode of Mary Poppins. Please visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for other series, and feel free to leave us a message on our forums or in iTunes. Continuous Play is not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing related company. Any discussion of the plots, characters, or music from the films is done so for entertainment purposes only. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners, and all rights are reserved. <sighs>